everyone. Welcome to our first ever How I Got Here Power Skills session. So excited. My name is Olivia Berkman. I'm thrilled you've joined us for this conversation with Elisa Gelbard. We're going to talk about fixing your LinkedIn profile, uh, interviewing mistakes, how to stand out in a candidate's market, and a lot more. Some of you might remember Elisa from the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a moment. But before I do, I'd like to share that the next speaker in the series will be the author of Classroom to Career, Alan Oppenheimer. He's going to talk about connecting with the right mentor for you, you and your career goals. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Elisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Olivia. Hi, everyone. And thank you for having me. So I'm Elisa Gelbard. I am the founder and CEO of Point Road Group. We are a unique branding firm, and we help companies make better brand impressions through their people. And we also work with individuals to help them strengthen their brands when they are looking for a job or a board seat. So personal branding is something that I live and breathe every single day. My background is actually marketing and branding. So that felt that really fed into uh, my forming the company back in 2014, I think it was already. Um, And we, you know, we really take marketing strategies and principles and apply it to people and look at everything comprehensively. So all the things that we'll talk about today relating to your brand when you are looking for a job or just looking to have maybe more visibility in your current job and thinking about, you know, promotion or job search at some point, all the things that we talk about are things that go into your brand and, and things that we focus on as a company from from day one. And, and, and it all matters. And I guess we'll talk about all those different pieces today. Yeah, absolutely. And you are a total personal branding guru. Um, And I've learned so much from you. When we last spoke for the Balance Sheet podcast, there were so many takeaways just for me personally. And it's a cool way to think about all of these different tips and tricks. And we're kind of like bombarded by them. But when you when you start to put them all together into kind of the, the way that you're presenting yourself to the world and to your future employer or to your current employer, uh, that's when it becomes a brand. And I just love the way that you look at it. It's such a cool uh, way to think about branding yourself. Yeah, it's big picture and then all the details. That's our approach that, you know, a lot of times people think of your brand as like a tagline or it's one way that I have to show up online, but it's everything. It's who you are in person, who you are online. And it's being consistent. So if I meet you virtually or meet you in person, which I think, Olivia, we're actually going to do soon. Um, But, you know, or I see your LinkedIn profile or or see something that you post or, you know, read an email, anything. There should be a consistency in who you are. And you want to think, how do I want to be known? Who do I want to be reaching? And, you know, who are the people I want to be connecting with? And then, you know, how does that actually come to life every day in the details? You know, so it's looking at both at the same time. If you just looked at the executional part, you'd be missing something key is like looking at the overall picture first. Yeah, absolutely. So for those students who are on the call and recent, um, you know, grad graduating students, I'm interested in hearing your experience with your school's career center. And I've thought a lot about this, Elisa, since we last spoke, because I did not really take advantage of my career center at my college. So. I'm really interested to hear what sorts of experiences um, those on the call have had. We're going to start with a quick survey. So in which area, if any, do you feel your school's career center was lacking? I'll just give everybody a couple seconds to think about this one. So like for me, I I wouldn't even be able to tell you. which I'm not proud of. I didn't either. I didn't take advantage, but now I'm a pretty active alum in my undergrad and actually somewhat in grad school too. And I, I, I do get involved with their career center. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Wow. A hundred percent job search networking help. Does that surprise you? Um, well, 
Well, I kind of think of them as two different things. So job search help. Yeah. From, well, job search help. Yes. That surprises me because I was, I would think um, that would be related to career fairs, which I know schools are tend to be pretty good at and career centers tend to be, but the networking help, I think that's what's hard because it's, um, you know, you can be given kind of basic, basic guidance on what should you say, but then it's how do you do it in a practical way? What's it like? And then can you facilitate that? I think career centers, I mean, it's certainly hard, especially over the last couple of years, but to facilitate networking um, with, you know, especially for either current students with recent alumni, people that they can relate to that they don't necessarily feel sometimes, you know, intimidated by because that can happen too. Like there could be an alum who's, you know, 20, 25 years older than you. And then how do you have that dynamic? That's, that's where I think maybe some of the breakdown can be, Oh, you know, great. Here's a list of 10 alumni in, let's say you were interested in, I don't know, biotech, right? Fine. You know, finance and accounting biotech. And here's a list of 10 alumni. Well, what do I do? What do I say? What if they don't respond to me? How do I then follow up? I think maybe it's like they're given basic level guidance, but not kind of the roll your sleeves up. That's a, that would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and networking is something that I really want to, want to get into more, um, <clears throat> a little bit later in the, in our conversation. So I wanted to kind of start at the beginning talking about the job search stage. Um, so <clears throat> starting with LinkedIn, I think a lot of us, including me, make a lot of LinkedIn mistakes on a on a kind of positive uh, look at it. How can you optimize your LinkedIn profile when you're searching for a job? What are the things that we could all do right now after we get off of this webinar to judge it up a little bit? I love it. Great word. Uh, Well, I think, well, first of all, by the way, we all make LinkedIn mistakes. Yes, even I do, you know, whether it's content engagement or on our profiles, that's the beauty of LinkedIn is you can just constantly adjust, right? And you can go in real time, you can just, you can compensate for it and fix it. Um, So a couple things when you are looking for a job on LinkedIn uh, relating to your profile, I think the first thing is um, that think about your profile, the top part of the real estate, your headshot and headline. That's the initial impression that you're making on somebody. So you, you I guess you taking a step back, you want to think of your profile in a couple ways. What's the impression that someone will have when they land on your profile? But what about even the step before you want to come up in search results? So how do you come up in search results? So it's based, making sure that you're filling out key sections in a way that's really informative. So what do I mean by that? So your headline, many people, biggest mistake across the board that people make when it comes to their headline is, and whether it's someone who's a student or a CFO or anything in between is just putting title. And maybe let's say you have an internship now or your student at whatever school, putting the title in the company but not anything else. This is your opportunity to say more about you, what you're interested in. Maybe you have some, for those of you who are just starting your your career, but maybe you've developed some early expertise or interests. You can add that there, or maybe there's an industry focus that you have. So that's an opportunity to say something else. I liken, and I hope I'm not judging ahead, but jumping ahead, but I liken your headline as to the same thing as how you introduce yourself when you meet somebody. There's, there's information there. You don't want to just limit it and just say something really short where someone can't quite tell who you are and what you do. So headline is definitely a great place to start. Headshot, super important. This is something really a missed opportunity for many students and recent college grad is not giving and paying enough attention to it. It doesn't mean you have to look stuffy in a suit and look boring and feel uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be a really casual picture of you. It's your professional you know, this is a headshot for your professional life. You can still look approachable and friendly and still somewhat relaxed, but you don't have, but it shouldn't be with other people or, you know, at maybe at an event where someone's cut off or you're in the distance or, you know, it's, it should be, you know, give it some attention. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be professionally taken, but it should be professional looking. So that's a great place to start. And then when you think about the next sections, you think about the about section, your summary, the, your experience section and experience. Remember, this could be 
Hey, you know, for those of you, depending on where you are kind of in, in your in your career, it could be internships. It could be um, paid part time jobs. It could be full time jobs. But, in, you know, include something there, include some details. So someone, if they look at your profile, can get a sense of what you did in the role and maybe a two second phrase about what the company is. Like, for example, when it comes to our company, Point Row Group, unfortunately, we're not a household name yet. <laughs> so so no one knows what it is. So I need to when I, if I'm describing something on LinkedIn, I have to put a little phrase there so someone can have an idea so they don't have to click off my profile to go through the company page to even learn about what the company is. But in about section two, this is where you can tell your story. Right. This is your chance to talk about who you are. And when we talk about being findable in searches, you know, keywords are important here. When you're looking at jobs that are of interest to you, you're going to see words that repeat. Make sure that your profile includes some of those words. So when someone who's in HR or recruiter is doing a search that you'll come up. Same thing with skills section, too. Those are some of those key areas to start with, you know, to really show give some information about who you are versus something that's just bare bones and it's like you know intern at xyz company and that's it or you know or um i don't know you know accounts payable you know and that's it put a little bit more so someone can have a sense I love that. I love the idea of just thinking about how would i introduce myself in a professional setting and just using that doesn't it's not rocket science right I love that. We got a question from the audience that I want to pose to you. I've seen people use the about section on LinkedIn in a lot of different ways. What should we be looking to communicate there? So I think you've touched on this, but maybe a little bit more specifically, like what is the real purpose of that section? This gives someone an overview of who you are, right? So think about it as if you had one or two minutes to talk to somebody, or I don't don't know the exact time, depends on where you're from and if you talk fast like me. (laughs) But this is is your chance to tell somebody a little bit about you, give that larger picture. One thing that's important, by the way, in the about section is don't start with like day one and then all the good stuff is at the bottom because if someone just lands on your profile, they see those couple of lines, right? And you want them to click see more. But if they don't, then they're only going to see those first couple of lines about you and then you'll miss that opportunity. But here's a chance to talk about who you are, what you do. Maybe, you know, if you're just graduating, the courses that you've, you know, the the most relevant courses to what you want to do. Maybe you've been, have volunteer work that's, that's, that you're proud of, you know, talk, give a well-rounded picture of who you are. What I wouldn't do though is say, and you know, you'll hear people who disagree with me, but you know, I am looking for a job in blah, blah, blah. People aren't, you know, on the other side of things, people aren't searching for, for any of those terms. Just like I wouldn't put that in your headline. People aren't searching for some, for that. They want to know about what you bring to the table. You know, are you, what aspects about who you are do you want to share with others that also, especially if you're looking for a job that could be really helpful and make you stand out as a candidate? Yeah, it's cringy to do that the same way it would be cringy to do it if you met somebody for the first time and you instantly said, hi, I'm Olivia, I'm looking for a job. Um, So point point taken. By the way, I know we're getting to networking later, but don't do that when you're networking, like right off the bat, go for the ask. I literally was just talking to someone, well, a couple people today and, and one person in particular went right in and asked. And I was like, wow, people still do. And I'm telling you, people do that at the executive level and at entry level. So just be cognizant of that. We got another um, great LinkedIn question here from the audience. If I'm looking to become more active on LinkedIn, how can I do this to position myself as someone who is passionate and knowledgeable? Well, I would say passionate and knowledgeable about what, (laughs) but, but I think what especially knowledgeable, uh, that's where content engagement can be great on LinkedIn. That takes you to the next level. That increases your visibility, your credibility. And what I mean by content engagement, I'm sure you all know, but just just to make sure in case there's some who don't, that's what I mean by liking, commenting, posting, sharing, um, you know, on, on things that are relevant to your expertise, especially what you're knowledgeable about. Share content that's related. Well, when I say share, I'm using that in a generic search. Share is the is the bottom of the barrel in terms of what helps your visibility on LinkedIn. So posting, commenting, liking, and then sharing in that order 
helps, you know, from a visibility perspective. But that's it's a great way to 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 take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. I have another survey question for the audience. Okay. How often do you use or update LinkedIn? Mm. Daily, Mm. weekly, monthly, a few times a year, or you don't use LinkedIn? So I would say for me, I, I honestly probably go on monthly. I don't use LinkedIn. What's that? You mean to update your profile? Or to, to just actively use it. To just go on it. Oh, we have to talk, Olivia. Come I on. know. I know. I'm so bad with LinkedIn. It's actually, that's one of the things too that's that's really interesting that people feel very overwhelmed by it and mm-hmm. like, oh my God, how am I gonna do this? You honestly don't need to spend a huge amount of time to be effective. My trick, by the way, what I always suggest to people is calendar it because if it's on your calendar, then you'll do it. But if it's yes. not, it's like, yeah, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. And yep. then, you know, and then it's Saturday and then that's not happening. So putting things I, on the calendar, especially working from home, it's, it, that's such a game changer. It's such a right? good tip. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see what everybody says. I mean, it could be like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So 50% weekly, 50% a few times a year. Does that okay, surprise guys. you? Yeah. The few well, difference. It depends. I, I think it depends on if you're still in school versus if you're graduating right. or you know about to graduate or you've graduated. Because if you're out of school or about to be out of school, definitely, uh, and especially if you're looking for a job, definitely, definitely spend more time on it. Um, I don't. I think while you're still in school, do it a little bit, but still enjoy yourself in school. Sorry, I'm one of those people who think you know, but but I do. But I do. But you shouldn't ignore it either because it can really be helpful. One of the things I think is so important, which I wish I knew when I was in school and I didn't learn this until later. And I don't know about you, Olivia, was the importance of your network and building it from an early stage. And that's what LinkedIn makes it so easy to do is you can start building your network. Now, I wish I wish I knew to do that when I was you know, early in my career. I didn't I don't even know how I realized that I should be doing it. I I honestly don't remember, but at some point I realized I should be, but for all of you, it's a great way. LinkedIn makes it so easy to start building your network. So I, you know, but in terms of time spent, I definitely think the more time you spend, you know, the more you'll reap, you know, the benefits from it. I mean, I've been on LinkedIn. I'm old. I've been on LinkedIn for a long time and I've never looked for a job while personally while on it, but I have, I have developed amazing relationships through it. I've had business opportunities, speaking opportunities, media opportunities. I've learned so, so much about so many different things, all just because I'm on there. So, you know, it is an amazing tool. And then add that from a job search or board search perspective, when you're later in your career, it's, it's incredibly powerful, but it's, it's such a great, resource too, from a networking perspective to know like some of the people who it makes it easy to stay in touch with people. Maybe you've had an internship, you know, last, last summer, you can stay in touch easily with those people through LinkedIn versus having to, Oh, do I have to text them or email them? You can see where they are and what's happening. So I'm a big fan of that. And I, and I did use it as a resource when I was building my speaker list for balance sheet. It was a great way for me to find speakers and, and then stay connected with them. Because when you interview somebody, you form a relationship with them. You can't help it. And, and I met such incredible people, including yourself. And it's, it's so important to keep those relationships going and include those people in your network and your personal kind of board of directors, um, is, is one way I like to look at it. But, uh, yeah, LinkedIn is, is definitely not just a job seeking tool. I mean, as you said, a lot of people don't use it for that at all and just use it as a way to keep in touch with people. Um, in, in kind of a less like aggressive way, <laughs> you yeah. know, like instead of exchanging personal number, uh, you know, phone numbers, but. Right. And uh, some of the ways you can stay in touch doesn't necessarily also mean you have to message them. You could just engage with someone's content and then they kind of see you. It's like a nice little subtle reminder there. And it's, you know, depends on how you know somebody, you know, depends on how you stay in touch with them. 
Yeah, exactly. Throwing out like a little congratulations goes a long way for somebody, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, another question from the audience. Are there any new or different platforms besides LinkedIn that you would recommend? I honestly recommend sticking with one. You know, there's always something that's going to come up. But when you think about how many people are there, who is there, who are you trying to reach, right? You're you're looking to, you know, as you're building your career, you want to be where the most people are, especially the most people who can be helpful or, or, or it could be a resource for you or a mentor or a guide or anything like that. Whereas if you go to other platforms, I mean, I one of the things I see is so many, like, well, companies, but professional organizations, they develop their own kind of separate platforms and it's always in competition with LinkedIn. And very often it's, oh, well, populate your profile with your LinkedIn profile, you know, on whatever platform. So I personally don't think it's worth it. Unless, the only other one place, and I would say for those of you, you know, who are in school or recent grads is alumni platforms can be powerful. Um, but as long as they're actually that people actively use them because you could have an alumni platform that says there's, I don't know, 10,000 people, but really in reality, it's a few hundred who are maybe active. So I would, I would do your, your research to see when you're, if you're thinking about spending more time on on another platform. But I think from, from a career kind of management growth perspective and professional development, I think it's the best one. That's a good segue to a question that I was going to ask you a little bit later on, but I think this is a good time for it. Um, the advantages of joining a network or association. So obviously beyond a LinkedIn, but joining something like F- FEI, if you're you know more senior in your career or FEI engaged, like the people on this, this call have done, uh, what are some of the advantages and uh, the the ways that it can help you find a job, um, you know, increase increase your network, keep in touch with people in your network, and uh, and then also kind of excel in your career. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think professional associations, when you find the right one, can be so so, or even alumni associations, they can be so helpful for your career on so many levels. So when let's like let's just take FBI as an example, right? And even you know whether it's engaged, I don't even mean that. I just mean in general, um, an organization that's for finance professionals, right? So you have something in common with the people where you're joining and you always want to have that cut. There's got to be some kind of uniting factor, or if it's an alumni association, you've all gone to the same school, but you have that commonality. But when it's a professional organization, that means there's always, they're always going to be current on trends and topics and issues and challenges in the field, which as you progress in your career, you always want that. So having that built in, is always going to be helpful, right? Then there's the ability to connect with people where you have that common interest, but where everybody isn't all at the exact same place, right? There, you know, you have a functional, um, you have a functional commonality, but it's across industries. So there's more opportunities. So you can see how someone's handling this challenge or this challenge across industries, which then enables you to learn more, which then, you know, opens doors if you want to make a job change. And, you know, most, most, I mean, I think probably every professional association, you know, has provides access to job opportunities. You know, they have some kind of job board, but then the real access is through people, through that network, through meeting people and connecting with them and being able to build relationships. So then when you hear about something, you're apt to let somebody know, right? Or if they hear about something, they're going to be apt to let you know about something. And I think that is just tremendous. And being able to have professional relationships that are outside of the company, let's say, that you work, because that those are going to last. So I think about my relationships through FEI, since, we, since I'm using FEI as an example. You know, people, many people who I've known for years now, they've gone through multiple jobs, right? They've been at different companies, but our relationship has just evolved and grown over time where it doesn't matter that they leave one place and go to another, where when you work with someone or you go to school with someone, whether it's undergrad or grad school, you have that commonality and yes, you're alumni, but you, it's, you know, it's, it's having that common connection. That's why some alumni associations I think do very well because they provide the professional development, the ability to network, the access to job opportunities and other things. So I think finding the right one though 
is key. Someone told me when I was first starting out, someone said to me with my company and, you know, and that was where, and before I was a member of a couple of professional associations, but I didn't really, I don't think I understood. I viewed it just for like, you know, current issues. I didn't think about it in, in other terms. And when I was really looking to see like, which organization should I get involved with? Someone said to me, it's like window shopping. I know that's like a thing in the past, but for, but for those of you who remember what it's like to do that and walk down the street, it's like you go in and you look and you're like, Oh, this looks interesting. Maybe I'll stay, or maybe you'll go in again, but you want to, you know, look at a bunch of opportunities. Don't just jump into one because one person says test it. Every organization Every professional organization can give you, um, and whether they're, and it doesn't matter what level, you know, if it's industry or functionally focused, you always can test something out and see what it's like because they don't, you know, and anyone that says you can't come to anything unless you become a member, and especially if it's a paid membership, that is not an organization I would be, recommend joining. That's really great advice. <clears throat> Let's talk about networking. We've been talking about networking, obviously. Um, where do we really begin with building our professional networks? Outside of, obviously, we've talked a lot about LinkedIn. Uh, but where do we start? We're coming out of school or we're, we're you know, nearing the end of school. And, and how does that process start for us? So I think, you know, obviously there's, you know, re- people maybe you knew who graduated before you. You know, if you're, let's say you're a senior, you, you knew people who graduated last year that there are always great ways to start and get knowledge from them. Somebody you can relate to, right? People like that, maybe they're hiring at their company. But another way that I think people still hesitate a lot is leveraging your personal. So friends and family, like your parents, siblings, family, friends, relatives, neighbors, people who know you already ask them, you know, talk to them. They know, they know you, right? These are people who know you well. They know that you're graduating. So they know that you are now looking at that next step. And, you know, you talk to them. You don't come in and say, okay, I'm graduating and looking for a job. Do you know anything? But hey, I'm graduating. I'm really, really interested in accounting. Um, and I'm kind of open to the kind of company or maybe there's certain industries that you're interested, maybe say, you know, I'm really interested in media or I'm really interested in pharma and biotech, but love the finance side of things, you know, whatever it is. But this way someone, you know, if you you leave yourself too open, like, oh, I'll do anything. Well, then no one's going to think of you for anything because that's too broad. Now you don't want to get too new, too narrow either. But if you know, let's say you have, I don't know, a neighbor who works in, um, who works in pharma. And you don't know what area, you just, you just know that, I don't know, they work at J&J or something like that. And you're interested in that, From but you'd love to work on the finance side of things. Then talk to them about it because they may have somebody to recommend you, you know, recommend that you speak with. I think one of the other things, too, is don't ha- don't be afraid to, when I say ask, I don't, I, I mean that don't go in immediately for the ask, but ask for somebody else. You know, let's say you have a great conversation. Olivia and I are talking about careers and I'm telling her I'm looking for a job and she gives me some great advice. And then I say, is there anybody else you think, um, you know, who I might, I, I should speak with who you think might be helpful, you know, and, and usually there's a yes, there's somebody else who, and it's just one person can be helpful. You know, it's always keeping that kind of that, that chain going. I love what you said about, I think it's, it's a lot of our instincts to say like, I'll take anything, especially for me at the time that I graduated, it felt like jobs were really hard to come by, which Mm -hmm. I know is different than today, but, um, it felt like, yeah, it felt like I should be, uh, just putting myself out there as like, I'll start at the bottom. I'll do, you know, and I didn't really care about industry and I didn't, I just didn't really know what I, you know, what I wanted to do. And so I was trying to put out, um, you know, like a, like a signal, Hey, I'm open to lots of different opportunities, but without being specific, you're right. No one's going to think of you for those things. No one, no one is going to hear of an opportunity and say, Oh my God, that's has Olivia written all over it. You know? So by the way, that happens throughout the rest of your career too, through the Mm -hmm. rest of your career. When someone says, I don't know, I'm not sure, you know, I'm just, I just know I want to change. Well, I don't know if you say that to me today, someone says nothing in what, 
for what? I can't think of you for something unless you give me at least some ideas. So yeah, so that that starts now when you're graduating or even when you're looking, well, internships is a little bit different, I think, because internships, you really, it for some people, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll do anything. I just want to learn. I just want exposure. But more so when you're looking for your first job and then through the rest of your career, having at least some idea is helpful. Yeah. And even if it's a couple different things, that's okay. But being able to articulate that is really helpful to the person you're speaking with. Yeah. You have to be able to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I want to know your advice for introverts when it comes to networking. Somebody wrote, uh, networking is a big issue for me. What advice do you give someone who has anxiety issues in meeting people? And then there's a second part of the question, which is interesting. Do you think the emphasis on FaceTime and career is changing, especially because of COVID. So let's oh, start with the yeah. first part. Yeah. Well, Introver- the advice for introverts. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. certainly changed. Um, and that's something that we talk about all the time with clients, but yeah, so it's, you know, and what's interesting though, I, I can't answer the first part without thinking about the second, which is if for, for people who had maybe some anxiety before COVID made it worse because we weren't around people and now everybody's more like the world's more anxious, right? We can't help it. And now with, you know, the next level of whatever's happening out there, it makes us all still anxious. So I think unfortunately made, if you had that anxiety, it's just made it worse, but okay, so fine. So you have it now. Now, how do you deal with it? I think that, you know, the one, one of the positives of being doing a lot virtual is that it helps with anxiety because you're less self-conscious. You're not seeing all of me. You're not see. you know, you're, we just have a small view of somebody. So I think if you know that you um, are, tend to get anxious, then don't have, at least do virtual conversations. It's, they're certainly easier. Um, and I think, but knowing that we're anxious too, is then addressing some of the things that are habits that, anxiety shows, which would be, okay, so right now I'm virtual, but I'm looking into the camera, right? But if I'm anxious, I might, I don't want to be looking down. If you see my, you know, I don't want to be looking down because that is a clear sign of anxiety, right? Or if I'm looking somewhere else, or if I'm nervous and I'm playing with my hair or a necklace or a watch or, you know, what, or my glasses, if I was wearing glasses, knowing if we're anxious and that sometimes it might come out in other ways, just being cognizant of it alone is half the battle because, you know, then we know, okay, I shouldn't do that. Like it's not a nervous habit for me, but I talk with my hands a lot, but I know that on screen that can be really distracting. I always feel like it's, you're being punched in the face. I always say that, but so I make sure to keep my hands lower. Sometimes I might even sit on one of them because I don't want to overdo it. So while that's not, you know, a sign of anxiety, but it's still something that I'm cognizant about on screen. But if you know that, you know, you're really freaking out about being in person with people and it's not about COVID anymore, it's just, it's just anxiety, then I would not a hundred percent hide behind the screen because then what if, let's say you're going for a job interview and the job's going to be almost entirely remote, but maybe I'll have to come in the office once a week or maybe even once a month, but they want to still meet you in person. Maybe it's the final round of interviews. You don't want to then lose your mind with anxiety because you have not been meeting with people other than like maybe close family and friends, right? Or, or you know, or students if you're in school. But so I would do a few select ones, even if you're miserable, even if you freak out, you sweat, you stutter, you do this or that, just get a few under your belt. So when it's re- when it really matters that you, it's not like, Oh my God, I haven't done this. So it's just, it, you know, you just drop the ball completely. So I think if you are an introvert, um, virtual can be really helpful, but don't rely on it a hundred percent. I think <clears throat> I don't even consider myself an introvert, but we were talking about earlier before we got, before we started the interview and, uh, I don't, I don't think you would probably consider yourself an introvert either, but those first couple interactions in person that we've had coming out of COVID, um, yeah, they're like, they're hard for all of us. And even if you're thriving in the moment, we all feel like extra exhausted after. So I, I think what you, what you're saying is really important. Be patient with yourself. Yeah. Continue to put yourself out there and try it, even though it feels awkward. And uh, trust me, like 
I don't really care for in-person networking. Sometimes it feels awkward and, and, uh, I, you know, put my foot in my mouth and, and to just take, you know, just be patient with yourself and, and, you know, give yourself a couple opportunities to sort of shake off the social cobwebs that we all have. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, I, I, I do a fair amount of speaking and before the pandemic in person all the time with a little bit of virtual, I had my first in-person speaking. It was actually FEI Boston. And I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. I was like, Oh my, I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to be speaking in person. I'm going to be in a group of people. I didn't know. And it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't a COVID freak out. It was just, how do I act? What do I do? Do, do I shake someone's hand? And it, what, how does this work? Like, it was just weird. And this is something I'm really experienced. And I used to love and, you know, and it took me, it took me a minute to get comfortable. Yeah. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that next. Uh, talk about, you know, the virtual interviewing versus mm-hmm. interviewing in person. And uh, but yeah. before that, I, I do have a question <clears throat> from the audience. Do employers really go through a candidate's social media profile beyond LinkedIn, like Twitter, Facebook, TikTok and others? Should I be concerned about that if things can be taken out of context? Um, yeah, yes. If, if it's publicly available, yes. People, you know, one of the things that potential employers do is they'll just Google, right? And just see see what comes up. Go through a couple pages deep, click on image, click on video, and they do. So, you know, it, it, it's absolutely true that they do. If you have something that's questionable there, I would I would remove it. There's there's no reason, you know, to create I always say there's no reason to create a question in somebody's mind, right? If you have if you have control over it. So if it's something there where your if your gut says, well, I don't know, take it down. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, and then the other side of it is people say, well, I want to be true to who I am and et cetera, et cetera. Well, be true to who you are, but just know that you it may impact a job opportunity because it's like you said, something can be taken out of context. You got to be careful. And private isn't really private. I mean, we all know that, right? It might be private, but someone knows somebody else and and then, you know, and then someone sees it. Right. So now let's get to the stage where you've you've gotten the interview. So you're past the, you know, your networking and your LinkedIn updates. And now you finally got an interview and it's a virtual interview. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about interviewing on zoom or whatever the platform is. What are some of the mistakes? And we talked about it a little bit before, like the virtual, you know, like playing with your hair. And I think like sitting on your hands is actually great advice. Um, I also, you could, (laughs) I also use my hands a lot. So, uh, what are some other mistakes and, and kind of tricks that, that you recommend for people who are going into a virtual interview? Sure. And, and by the way, a lot of this holds true for just a regular meeting too. you know, get yourself set up before, you know, if you have something, give yourself time. If you have something before, if you're rushing and you're setting up and then what happens when, I mean, we all know we can be on line all day long and have the perfect connection. And then all of a sudden when it matters, something happens. You want to give yourself time because, you know, let's face it. We all get, people get nervous for an interview, right? So even if you're confident, it doesn't matter. You're still, there's still going to be that little element of nerve. So take, take that um, adding extra pressure out of it. Give yourself time beforehand to get set up, to make sure, hey, is my lighting right? Look, all of you guys, look behind you. This is one of the biggest mistakes people make where they don't realize, okay, so you see where I am, there's a closet behind me. If that was open, you would all have a different impression of me right now, right? It shouldn't, you know, it, it literally is a minute. Look behind, what are people seeing? What's the lighting issue? Right. Can people see your face? Is it too dark? You know, where I'm sitting now, now that the time changed, if I if this was early in the morning, there'd be a major glare on my face. And it wasn't there a couple months ago. So just, you know, give yourself a couple extra minutes to get set up so you look good. Also, think about what you're wearing. You know, you don't you know, I am still I'm one of those people who always believe better to dress a little bit up than a little bit down because you're making that first impression, especially with that first interview. But even when you're sitting, make sure it's something comfortable because if you're, you know, I'm a fidgeter, which is actually a big challenge for me virtually. I will admit, you know, I, I, I just, that's who I am, but I need to make sure that something's comfortable when I'm wearing. So I don't feel 
constricted. So this way you're setting yourself up before even the actual interview and the conversation starts, you're setting yourself up for success. Make sure your sound is good. Make sure you have, my gosh, if you're using a laptop versus a desktop, desktop, make sure you're plugged in. So the last thing you want is be low battery and then go, oh, and then have to bend down and start looking for a charger. You know, get all of that set up beforehand. If you are in a place, maybe you have roommates, maybe you're home, there's noise, there's people, animals, kids, horns, sirens, whatever. Understand where you are, make sure you can mute. If there are other people you can communicate with, say, hey, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I have an interview now. Please do not interrupt. Please try to keep, you know, there, of course there's things that are avoidable, but going through every little thing beforehand means you're setting yourself up for success where you don't have to worry about all that other stuff and you could just focus actually on the conversation. So I would, you know, I, it's worth the extra time. And this is, it's the same advice that we give to companies, to people at companies before meetings and presentations. It's so important to do all of that stuff beforehand. So you could just focus on, you know, being the rock star that you are and having a great conversation with someone. Before I would do my balance sheet podcast, I used to, because I was using Zoom, I used to Zoom call my husband um, from another room. And then we'd be like, okay, how does this look? Test the sound, everything. And, um, and you could do that with, I mean, you could do that with somebody in another, you know, a friend in another apartment or something. Uh, So that, that was always helpful for me because he could catch things behind me, but also just making sure that like, you're, you're not going to have tech issues, right? you know, and what a nightmare. Nobody wants to go through that. And also, if you are in an apartment where you have a roommate or maybe you're a new parent and you have a baby in the background, whatever, you know, people will understand. Everybody knows that we're most of us are not most of us, but a lot of us are still working from home. Just just I would my and you can totally correct me, but like I would just just um, mention it right up front. Like, hey, I, you know, I do have a roommate if they're coming and going, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I apologize in advance or I do have a, a baby that's sleeping right now, but I just want to, yeah. you know, give you a heads up. I don't know. Right. I mean, it's so that especially if, if you I think that's fine to do, especially if you think there's a good chance that something may happen because maybe it's I mean, you're saying that right. If it's like unavoidable. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. But also, actually. What happens when that happens? What happens if the dog starts barking uncontrollably or a baby's crying or, you know, your roommate walks in with a friend and you're like, hello, or or there's a siren outside or a lawnmower, depending on where you are. Yeah. How what should react, we do? <laughs> right. How you react is half the battle. So what I would suggest first is always know where mute is, especially if it's something loud, because then all you could do is you could say, so sorry, really loud siren, just waiting for it to pass or, you know, dog, you know, letting my dog out or whatever it is this way they know versus you go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you don't want to over apologize because it happens. It happens yeah. to everybody. Like you said. And if you are oh, applying for a job that is going to be at least partially remote, like this is an interview of, of you, but you're also being interviewed yes. for your ability to, to juggle, you know, the things so and true. sounds and whatever. So you're showing, yes. you know, your, your capabilities there. So excellent point, especially if you are even more so if you're client or customer facing, right? Oh my gosh, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all about impressions, right? And how you react to things shows how you will react in real time. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, right? exactly. That was, you're making me think of a, a woman that I, I interviewed a while ago and she would go, she was, she was very, she was very senior level. She was an FEI member. And I remember she said, every interview I go into, I say, uh, you know, if my phone rings, I it's it will only ring for if my children are calling me. And she would just say that right up front. Like if my phone rings, just know that it's my children. I am going to answer it. And that is not you know, that doesn't have to be everyone's way. But it was her way of kind mm-hmm. of saying this is, you know, how I work. Like I'm I'm here and I'm ready and I'm dressed right. And I'm going to answer all your questions. If my kids call, it's an emergency. And that's how I work. Right. You know, I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, okay. That's virtual. Now let's say we're going to an in-person interview. Um, one question that I have for you is mm-hmm. if you have to go far for an interview, right. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, 
I, I hate, I'm so afraid to say post COVID times, but like, I know, I know. <laughs> like, like let's pretend that we're post COVID times at least. Um, is it inappropriate to ask if you might be able to do that interview? If you're early, early on in the process, is it appropriate to ask if you might do that interview virtually? Well, I think it depends on, first of all, who it's with too. Um, let's say it's the initial HR screen. In that case, yeah, you could. However, if they're asking you to come in person, there's likely a reason now. It is because for companies also, being virtual interviewing is way more efficient. You can see more people. You waste less time. You know, if it's if it's a half hour, let's I'm just making it up. If it's a half hour, it's a half hour. It's not an hour or 50 minutes unless it's you know, amazing. And, and, you know, you're having a great conversation, but, but point being is that you can be a lot more efficient. So if they're asking you to come in person, then maybe there's a reason because maybe it's an in per- fully in, it could be a fully in, in office job, or maybe it's 75% in office. So I would, you know, I, you understand kind of where that's coming from, but if it's an initial screen, and it's really in, you know, what I would say is what's far, right? We're, now everything is far. You know, we, we became a virtual company, you know, during, and now we are and we're staying virtual. So to me, anything is far now because anything that I have to leave, you know, my apartment, this is my office. So I would say what is far, you know, if it's, is it, are they asking you to fly somewhere for an HR screen? No, they're not going to do that. I can't imagine. So I would really be, before you push back on that, understand what's ha- I would I would I would know what's happening with the company where what where, where are they doing are they are, how much in the office are they and maybe maybe they know that come let's just say May 1st they right now they're um, a quarter in the office and they're going to go to being three quarters time in the office starting May 1 so maybe there's a reason for that so I would I wouldn't jump right into that without knowing a lot more information first yeah assume that they have a very good reason for for asking you to come in yeah And so to your earlier point, when we're going in for an in-person interview these days, are we shaking hands? Are we going in with a mask? Like, (laughs) I I mean, I know it's early days, but like, what are your thoughts on kind of Well, I hate this answer, but of course it depends. So in terms of the mask, it depends on um, some buildings, you know, depending on where you live, some buildings absolutely require it or going into an office building and elevators required, but then it's up to the individual company. So the, usually, especially if it's an initial interview, they'll share with you what their policy is, but you could ask. And that is, it is, to, you should never feel uncomfortable. And no one on the other side of, you know, the receiving end of an email would ever be like, I can't believe he's asking that. I can't believe she's asking that. It's just say, what is your, you know, what is your mask, you know, what is your mask policy? In terms of shaking hands, this is where it is your comfort. And this is where you have, you've been doing, right? We all do, we all do us now. We all do whatever we're comfortable with. So if someone extends their hand and you don't feel like, you know, you're just not comfortable, you can go like this with your elbow and that's okay. No one's going to be like, I can't hire her because she just did that. Because everybody's just kind of getting back into it. Now, if you sometimes, and you don't have to do this, but sometimes we all feel that need to like fill that next, like that little void, that silence. You know, it's, I haven't, you know, this is my first in-person interview. I wasn't sure what to do, you know, and, and then you're almost diffusing it. And then it's sort of, you chuckle on it. And then everybody's like, yeah, I know, you know, but you don't have to do that though. You know, it's fine to just go like this and be done with it. Yeah. The elbow thing is a, is a good uh, middle ground if you don't feel comfortable. Um, so I have another survey question that I want to ask the audience. Um, no, not this one. (laughs) Okay. Do you prefer virtual interviews or in person? Oh, I have to say, I prefer an in-person interview and, and I, I am talking about like later in the process, you know, like an initial, I, I actually like a phone interview early on. Um, and then, yeah, I like, I like going into the, I I like going into an office. I like seeing it. Yeah, it's different, but I, I totally understand. I mean, obviously it's a lot more convenient to do a virtual, you know, interview. So I get it. 
the essence of, of meeting someone, it's like that when people say, I don't you know, chemistry or whatever, you, you really, you can get it to a point virtually, but not quite completely. Perfect mm-hmm. example, we had somebody join our team a year ago, September. So she's mm-hmm. been with us almost a year, you know, about a year and a half. And we had a great relationship, but I met her in person in October. So it was a li- she had been with us a little over a year. Hmm. And it was like, after 10 minutes, it was like, oh, it was so different. Like we got such a different sense and then we bonded more, but you know, I was okay, you know, in terms of, you know, we hire people completely virtually, but there was such a difference once meeting in person. So I understand that, you know, you get that sort of essence, but that doesn't mean you can't connect really well with someone virtually. Yeah. Look at us. Yeah. Um, so 100% in person, which is surprising to me. But um, yeah, I mean, they're just there definitely are advantages to, to you know, there's just a, a warmth, I guess, that you can bring. Yes, um, that's, in person, that's a good word, you know? yeah. yeah. Or or the opposite <laughs> or coolness that you think, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is the place for me because you guys, you all know, you know, it's not just about them interviewing you. You always hear the other. It's about yes. you interviewing them. Is this yes. a place where you want to be? And, you know, the one thing, though, you can't quite get a sense of culture anymore when you go into an office because, you know, so many companies now, if you went in ever on a Monday or Friday, it would be like, you know, you you don't hear anything. You can hear a pin drop because almost no one, if they're given options of which days. Right. And, you know, there's some companies where, yeah, okay, everybody's in the office, but no one's socializing you know, or engaging outside of their offices, you know, so it, it, but you can get a sense of what it's like. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you brought this up, uh, just now, what are some of the questions that, you know, recent grads, early career folks should be prepared to answer in an interview? What are some of the, like, we know the tried and true, you know, questions to expect, but what are some of the newer ones that you're hearing? Well, actually, it's the tried and true ones that people still are missing. Why you want to work at that company? That is one of the most, why? Not just, well, I want to, you know, I really want to get into, you know, accounting or whatever. You know, why do you want to work at that company? What about that company intrigues you? Or what about that role? Why that role? Having, that is one of the things that people miss. And the other one that's really common when someone says, tell me about yourself. Right. What when they're giving you a, a chance to talk, kind of think about that about section on LinkedIn. Right. Or anything else. They're, they're giving you a chance to say something about you. So, you know, and this is something we say all the time to finance executives. It's one or the other. It's either so short where you don't know what there's, you know, you don't have really a sense or it's like five minutes long and they don't come up for air. So there is a happy medium. Practice this, you guys practice one of one of the things i always recommend is doing voice note on your phone because you know people say oh, okay practice video but if you practice how you answer questions on video you're just focusing on what you look like you're not focusing on what you're saying but a voice note you hear what you're saying you could do it walking around or whenever and then you can let you could delete it and say okay that wasn't good i'm going to do it again and then you start to hear what sounds good the more you do it so i so encourage that you know what when you talk about you know, when someone says, tell me about yourself, why do you want to work here? Those are some key things. You know, what's important to you, you know, in a company, understanding culture, being able, I think one of the things that is, is important is to be able to do enough research about the company. So then when you're asked a question that if you can show that you've done your homework, that is always great. I love when I interview someone whatever, regardless of the question where they just show that they know something either about the team or about the company or about our clients, because they did a little research and that will help. That will really help differentiate you and distinguish you as a candidate to show that you've done your homework, because believe it or not, even if it's when, when it's a really good opportunity, so many people do not do their homework. You know, they'll do top line. They'll look at the job. Okay, who am I interviewing with? Who, you know, what I want to get a little history about the department, the company, but dig deeper. The deeper you go, the more you'll stand out. You know, I, the some of the, and if there's, a, when you're asked questions that you're kind of like, why are they asking me that question? It's 
sometimes it's it's a couple of other reasons beyond what you would think. It's someone who's maybe not an experienced interviewer or didn't prepare for the interview. Maybe they were just thrown in or they're having a bad day <laughs> or, you know, so sometimes it's not personal at all. So don't take it. If someone's asking you a really, you know, uh, just grilling you about something and asking more and more, you know, more detail, sometimes it's not personal, but it's again, the same way with, if there's a distraction on video, it's how you react is half the battle. And, and showing, you know, not, I mean, we all get rattled, but not getting too rattled, right? I think those are some of the really important things. And then in terms of what other questions to prepare for, really depends on um, where you are in your career too. Because someone may say, you know, what type of environment is important to you? Where that type of question would not have been, I shouldn't say would not have been asked, but would have not have been asked very frequently several years ago. But now... What type of environment is important to you? You know, what kind of communicator are you? What kind of, you know, so they want to understand kind of the environment in which you're comfortable sometimes. That get, That's asked a lot more. And um, personality, you know, sometimes you also may get, um, uh, take predictive index or whatever. There's like so many different kinds of companies that do personality tests. Right. It's and you go, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to take a 100 question test or a 50 question test? What are they asking me? And it's because, you know, they want to understand a lot, a lot now from a from a human capital perspective. People are understanding teams and where they may there may be an existing team where there's a whole there's in certain kinds of characteristics. And they want to make sure that the people that they fill in the roles that are open have those characteristics to round out the team. Or maybe it's the team functions really well with these types of characteristics. So we want to make sure that the people, that the candidates who make it through to the end have some of those characteristics. So that's why very often they're doing that. They're not looking to test you and, and you know, they're, they're not looking to make you uncomfortable. It's to set a team up for success. So, which is hard sometimes to think about it that way. Like, why do they want me to do this? But that's very often why. And I promise as you progress in your career and when you're overseeing teams, you'll understand the importance of that. Now, sometimes do you have to do it through an assessment. No, but those, some of the, some assessments are really good and can help with that. Yeah. I've never been asked, um, to take uh, one of those before for a, for a position. I've also been at FEI for about a hundred years. It feels like so. Um, so, but, uh, that's interesting. And yeah, like filling a gap, um, or also just like it, like you're making me think it's it's really important to be honest on those because yes. um, and not just make yourself look good because it's important for both parties that you you know you're the right fit. Right. Um, they want to set, set you up for success too, not just themselves. Exactly. That's usually when companies have invested in those types of things. They're really it's usually a good indication about how they care about people. I mean, I've never been asked one, but, you know, I've taken them a couple times to see what they're like. Not all of them, but I've taken a few just to see what they're like. And it's, they're always interesting questions. It's not, they're not technical questions, by the way. They're kind of how you just go about everyday life and communicating and being managed in managing how you handle challenges, all that kind of stuff. And that's such a take, like, as we look at because we, we have to wrap up, unfortunately, but like, as I look back on the conversation, so much of what we have been talking about, it comes down to how you, um, of course, like present yourself to the world, but how you respond, mm-hmm. um, how you respond to things. And, and it's, it's something for all of us to think about, like, what are our responses to unpredictable, you know, challenges? <clears throat> what are our responses to those things Telling others about right. us as, of course, a person, but especially as a, a future employee, uh, because we're in a time of extreme disruption and uh, employers are looking for people who can sort of think on their toes and uh, and create a healthy culture uh, at, a, at a company and, you know, be a part of creating a healthy culture at a company. So, yeah, uh, and I think it's particularly important right now because we're not all, it, it was different when you'd all be in an office together and people could, you can see how people are doing. You can kind of see subtleties, help guide and shape if you needed to, or say, 
that's a flag and we've got to deal with it. You could see things easier. Now, when, when so many people are remote or hybrid, it's harder to get a sense of a person. So that's why these things become more important because they're, they're seeing, you know, well, if, you know, she's reacting this way now, then she might react that way, you know, in front of a client or something like, like you mentioned earlier. And so that's why it's, it's almost like more of a microscope now or a little rectangle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, unfortunately we ran out of time. The hour flew just like I knew that it would. Uh, but thank you so much, Elisa, for all your advice. And I, I was taking notes while we were talking, not just for the conversation, but for myself. And I always learn something new from you. And I know everybody who attended learned a lot too. So thank you for your time. Oh my gosh, it was my pleasure. I feel like we could talk for hours as always. So thank you all out there for your great questions. Um, it's an interesting time, but it's a great time, especially being early in your career, you know, embrace it all, connect with others, learn, absorb. And, you know, I have to do the shameless plug for FBI, right? FBI is a great organization for you moving forward. I mean, I, you know, even programs like this show that you, you care about the current, current members and future members too. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. 